Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. When I was down at the VMX veterinary conference, I saw this big poster, The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital, book signing by Dr. Doug Mater. And I thought, oh my God, I love books by veterinarians. I love stories about veterinarians, but I couldn't get there in time. So I did something for me twice as good. I invited Dr. Doug Mater to come on the show. This book, Doug, is, I'm sure all of your fellow veterinarians love it, but your average human who hasn't been to veterinary school and has all those letters after their name will just be wide-eyed at you as an exotic veterinarian, the, the kinds of patients you've treated that have, I used to say four legs, but in your case, it's all kinds of things that aren't even legs, but also the two-legged people in your practice. You've, you're quite a, a juggler of humans and critters. You you seem to have all kinds of strange ones around you. Do you think that's a fair thing to say? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. Yes, I do. You know, being a veterinarian is not just about being with animals. It's about working with people as well. And um, I've always enjoyed the whole full circle of the human-animal bond with working with owners and working with pets, and whether it's somebody's dog or cat or a bald eagle that flies over. You know, it, we all love animals. But you also, when you when you bought this, and truly inner city vet clinic, which you seem to make very bold choices. You're like everyone told us not to do it, so we did it. It was in a really poor neighborhood, and it was in horrible condition, and and yet you bought it. What was it? I mean, because that is the subtitle: stories of survival from an inner city animal hospital. What drove you or encouraged you, other than the fact that you'd made the trip there? by a kind of uphill battle sort of clinic? Um, part of it is I've always liked to challenge. And then, uh, as I mentioned in the book, you know, a lot of times you hear people say some of the best restaurants are in the worst parts of town. Yes, so you do say that. We could go ahead and, yeah, we could take this old hospital that was so beat up in such a bad area without even a parking lot. I mean, literally, it was dangerous walking to your car after hours in the dark. And we figured we could make it work. And so my partner and I got along great. We both had similar goals and interests. And, you know, we both loved the human-animal bond. And our goal was let's let's take this diamond in the rough and polish it. 
Well, you did that. Um, but of course, because you specialize in exotics, you, you could get people from everywhere and anywhere to come to your so-called special restaurant in a strange neighborhood because <laughs> what you do is so rarefied. And I, I'd love to talk about turtles and tortoises, which are, are a big part of some of the stories. But when I said the difficult two-leggeds, usually when I talk to vets, I am referring to your everyday owner of a dog or a cat. But I found it interesting and frustrating that you allowed so many uh, complicated, challenged people to work with you and volunteer for you and be externs and be vet students. I wanted to throttle particularly one of them. And yet you were so <laughs> patient and kind. And she was in her, whatever her damage, emotional damages were, she was driving out wonderful other people that worked for you. Do you think you have a, and I mean this sincerely, a kind of saintly patience and a willingness to let somebody un, sort of reveal what their stuff and their problems are so they can let animals be part of their healing? I do think so. I mean, that's a very complicated question, but I do think animals play a huge role in our physical and our mental healing. I mean, they're used that way in, in, uh, as therapy animals and emotional support animals all the time. But to get to your point about the humans, I think everybody deserves a second chance. Everybody makes mistakes. And, you know, if we do fall down, isn't it nice to know that there's somebody there that'll help pick you up and yes. get you on your way? Um, I do a lot of work right now, jumping forward a little bit uh, with the Monroe County Jail. And no kidding. It's a facility in Key West, and it's the only licensed USDA zoo in the world. The entire zoo is within the confines of the jail. So all, there's several acres. Oh they have big God. fields. You've driven by jails before and seen them surrounded by razor Sure. Water. So all of the animals, there's about 300 animals in the, in the jail, and it's all maintained by inmates. And so I go down there and take care of all the animals, wow. work with curators, teach the inmates. And it, it gets the animals out of the cells. They're not making dinner. They're not, uh, you know, doing laundry. They're not making license plates. They're out working on animals. And it teaches them responsibility and compassion and empathy. And so, yes, to answer your question, I do think it's really important to make the effort, take some of these people that have made some bad decisions in their life and kind of help them straighten out. Wow. I did not expect that answer. And clearly, I know what your next book's going to be about. Come on. The Vet Behind <laughs> Bars. I mean, this is incredible. And what an incredible facility because we've – I have something called the Dog Film Festival. It hasn't come to Key West or, or that area yet, although it's been around Florida. But every year somebody sends in, submits a film that's like puppies behind bars. And it's women's prisons mm -hmm. and uh, lifers, people who will never get out and they're training service dogs or they're rehabilitating shelter dogs so they can be adopted. And that's sort of logical for a lot of us to think. Well, okay, that makes sense. They're each helping each other. They're saving each other. But the idea of a zoo inside a prison, wow. That's And there yeah. you are being the vet because, A, you're there physically, and there probably aren't many other vets nearby. But are any of those animals, do they fall into the exotic range? Well, it's a zoo. So, yeah, they all are. <laughs> I mean, we have alligators, emus, um, oh my God. Uh, crocodiles, llamas. You know, capybaras, you name it. We have all wow. sorts of cool stuff there. And it, this is a conversation for some other podcasts because um, it's just such a fascinating place all by itself. No, it's part of this one. I think who you are as a doctor and a person 
in the vet at Noah's Ark, in a way, that prison is a kind of Noah's Ark. I mean, in some oh, upside-down sure way. I mean, it's an enclosed society of people with all of their issues and challenges and joyfulness and energy and goodness and badness. And you're kind of the ringleader of that, the kind of center who is so calm and kind. And you you seem to know how to solve problems that don't seem to have a solution. I, I think it is part of, this, part of the conversation because I think what comes through in the vet at Noah's Ark is the vast variety of animals that make a difference to people. I mean, in, in one chapter, you, you talk about the drug dealer. Although it is in an inner city, you don't have all kinds of inner city types necessarily on the doorstep. But the drug dealer with the guinea pig who had a matching gold chain around his neck, I mean, that was amazing. I, when when they walked in, did you immediately see the gold chain around the guinea pig or not until you'd oh, examined yeah. him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, the the really cool stuff you can't make up, and and that's the kind right. of thing that just makes the day so full of spice. Um, yes, you meet people like that, and the, the thing is, him, and then uh, I don't want to be a spoiler for people who haven't read the book, but like the the woman who's the the lady of the evening, yes. and she adopts <laughs> a cat. I mean, what does that tell you, Tracy? These it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. People love animals. Yep, And you have to respect that bond that people have with their animals, regardless of whatever their profession may be, drug dealer, hooker, yep. um, school teacher, it doesn't matter. That bond is so incredibly important. And I feel like my role, when I wake up in the morning, my goal for the day is do everything I can to promote that human-animal bond, because I want that to last and be healthy for as long as possible. And, you know, we all want to walk on water and, and we do everything we can, but sometimes we fail. And unfortunately, I, you know, I do have some stories in the book yes, about some of my failures. And that <laughs> it's pretty bad because people always ask me, what, you know, what, what cases are your favorite cases? Which ones do you remember? And I have some that I remember, but the ones that I always remember and I'll never forget are the ones I lost. Yes. Because those are the ones that lose sleep over. And yet, and yet in the stories, the people whose animal you have lost or they brought the animal to you in usually pretty bad shape and you did your best and the animal couldn't survive whatever they came in with, they all love you and they give you gifts and they give you plaques and and you're kind of expecting them to be angry or disappointed or blaming and it's quite the opposite. So that's a, another really interesting part of the story is that everyone understands that you have gone the extra mile for the exotic animal that really, you know, didn't have much of a shot to begin with. And yet, and yet there you were. And the capuchin monkey, I mean, that was a really sad situation, right? Those were very well-off people who traveled a distance to your specialty restaurant, if you will. And that was a mm -hmm. sad, a sad learning moment, right? About the monkey and, and how they need to be properly fed. Right. I mean, it, it, it definitely was. And that was, that's a good example of pet ignorance. And when I say the term ignorance, it's yes. not an insult. Ignorance yes. means you just don't know as opposed to stupid, which means you were taught but refused to learn it or right. to, to utilize it. So they were ignorant on proper care of a monkey. And, and let me just parenthetically state right here that, yes, I work on these animals on a regular basis. Do I recommend them as pets? Absolutely not. Thank you. Some of these exotics should not be kept as pets, in my opinion. But... It's my job as a veterinarian That's to right. take care of them. So mm -hmm. I do take care of them, and I always will, and I will educate people. But it doesn't matter. I don't think monkeys are proper pets. Um, 
No, I mean, that. yes, it started out horrible, but it ended up at least with a, a pet that was treated, and it, it will never be a normal monkey, but it was a monkey that was able to live for several years and continue that bond with the parents, and they learned a lot through that episode, and they made the effort to take care of the monkey and do everything they could for it. And, and just so people know that the monkey was paralyzed um, from the waist down, but it was because he hadn't had a proper diet, so his bones um, were not uh, were not as they should have been. At one point, and I went back through the book having read it, and I thought, I can't find a thing about the Galapagos tortoise and the alligators in the guy's garage. Did I hallucinate that story? Because I couldn't find it again when I was going back through the book. No, there was, uh, it was, it was a very brief mention. Yes. I had that one client named, um, he just completely brain farted. So what happens when you get old? I know, um, but the Galapagos but had, tortoise was the part that right, jumped off the page at me. And, and two allig- alligators and that yeah. he kept in his garage in, in, um, one, one of the adjacent cities. And because they're illegal animals, we had to be real careful and quiet about taking care of them. Well, that's sort of what one of what was I going to what was something I wanted to bring up. So something's illegal, and we can talk in a minute about the woman who wanted to transport her iguana illegally to a country where they're illegal, which would probably could be harmful to such an island nation of Australia. Uh, right. Wh- what do you do about that? I mean, the Galapagos is this heavily protected place. They they even might have come to the party of protecting the wildlife there a little late, but they got really pretty good at it. And yet this guy had this completely illegal tortoise and then two alligators. Okay, that, that brings up a really great philosophical point, And I actually yes. use this when I teach at vet schools. Okay, good. So unlike in human medicine, where let's say an MD sees evidence of child abuse, they are required That's by right. law to tell the authorities. Yep. In veterinary medicine, if we see something illegal, let's say dog fighting, cock Correct. fighting, yes. an illegal Galapagos tortoise, we are not required by law to turn it in. And here's the reason why. Because if we turned in every single animal that was illegal, people would stop bringing their, their pets to the vets to get them taken care of. That's right. And so what's what's the ethical thing here to do here? Do we turn them in? And then whether or not those animals may or may not be destroyed, it's hard to say. But if you do that, then the next person who has a sick alligator or a sick Galapagos tortoise or a sick ferret, they may say, shoot, I'm not going to go to the vet because I'll get turned in and I'll get fined and blah, blah, blah. And then that animal suffers. So our job is as veterinarians, our Hippocratic oath that we take as veterinarians is to end suffering and pain, Correct. not to turn people in. That's so, no, I mean, I, 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 I knew that you had to be a very ethical person, and you never explained whether or not you gave that woman tranquilizer for the iguana that she had stuffed inside her bra, but he needed to lie completely still for an incredibly long journey to Australia right. from California. And then I thought, well, how does he not suffocate jammed beneath her bosoms in her bra? Right. I never gave it to her. Thank you. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to participate in illegal activity because, as I mentioned several times, if they caught her, they would euthanize that iguana. Exactly. There's no question about it. Australia is extremely Very strict, strict. About protecting their borders. Yeah, as they need to be because so many yeah. in, species have come along and then wound up being evasive, invasive. Sorry, not evasive. All right. One last question before we run out of time. You did CPR on a mouse. You did chest compressions yep. and mouth-to-mouth or lip-to-lip. How did you do that? I'm reading. I'm thinking, oh, that's so great. And then like a chapter later, I'm like, what? How did you 
do well, that. You, I mean, compressions on an infant human. I lost my patience. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. No, I did. I had no choice. That poor little thing went into cardiac arrest. So, yeah. No, you just had to jump to it, and you have to do what you can. You do everything you can to try and save him. Yeah, but how did your how did your lips fit on his lips? I mean, wouldn't I mean a mouse? You, just, you, you can inhale you him accidentally. Head in your mouth. You know, you just take his head, put it in your mouth, and just start blowing. Are you serious? Well, all what I mean, I'm just in awe. I thought if you tried to do mouth to mouth, you might breathe in and and you know, I don't know, swallow the mouse. It's pretty small. I I just want to say that the stories in the vet at Noah's Ark are just one amazing, charming, eye opening. Uh, tale after another. And I'm not at all surprised that you have won all kinds of awards from international and national organizations and UC Davis School of Vet Medicine. And also seven times you've won the North American Veterinary Community Speaker of the Year Award and four times at Western Vet Conference Educator of the Year. You tell great stories. You tell them with such charm and humility, and they always have a lovely little twist at the end. I, I just think the twist at the end about the mouse, and then one of your helpers said, hey, our snakes in the, in the clinic need some live mice. Could I go down the street and buy some? When you just spent incredible amounts of time and money trying to save this one little mouse, you do have a great sense of the ironic, don't you? Thank you so much. That means a lot. It's delightful. It's wonderful. And I, I can't say enough good things about this really darling book. And Darling makes it sound smaller than it is. It's big. It's big, capital D, Darling. The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital. Dr. Doug Mater, I'm going to let you go so you can go and write the book about the vet inside the zoo. That is the vet behind bars. That is going to be even more wonderful stories. Thanks again for being here. I'm so, so honored to be on your show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative pet talk radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.